Welcome everyone to The Gathering Movement, where we gather our minds, discuss, and riff on topics like spirituality, leadership, energetics, and metaphysics, all from the realm of unlimited potentiality. It is really my greatest hope for all who listen to this show that you leave here being reminded of what is possible for you. Let's jump in. Hey everyone, it's Bridget Aileen Sisko. I wanted to introduce our guest, Trish Bishop. This was such a fun episode to record. You know, there's just sometimes those moments when you meet someone and you could probably have a very in-depth, deep conversation for quite a while. When Trish connected through our other friend, Hollis, thank you, Hollis, if you're listening, we start off by just having a phone call And we were able to really just riff on some important topics right away. And that's when I was like, oh, I have to have her on my show. This would be amazing. So inside this episode, we talk about leadership, but also spirituality and being able to read a room as a leader, especially in a corporate environment. We talk about servant leadership. We talk about leaving your ego at the door as a leader, which Something I reflected on during that episode is, you know, where could I show up to lead in a different way? In addition, we talked about the future of business, especially with the current state of the world, right? Things are changing, things are shifting, and Trish gives her insight on where she thinks things are going. So Trish and her mission, here it is. Trish's mission is to help and heal corporate work environments one leader at a time. After taking public the first ISP in Canada, Trish learned how to integrate her ability to read the energy of people, situations, and organizations into a servant leadership style. She then led six high-performance teams by creating the culture, vision, passion, and psychological safety to to drive huge success. Trish is the author of The Question Journey, and she sent it to me. It's so beautiful. As someone who loves to be prompted with questions, I'm really enjoying it. So make sure you get the download of The Question Journey. She's also an IT director, a shaman, intuitive empath, and certified angel guide. And what I loved most is she is the most beautiful blend of the corporate 3D world with the spiritual energetic practices. And I really do believe it's so important in all environments to blend the two. It doesn't have to be either or. And I love what Trish is doing in bringing in some of these principles and practices. So enjoy the show and I'll talk to you next week. Welcome, Trish. Good morning. Welcome to the Gathering Movement. I am so excited to be here. (laughs) It was fantastic to meet you and I love what you're doing. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Me too. I really enjoyed that we got to have a little phone call. I got to walk, we got to talk, and I got to learn a little bit more about you. You even shared uh, the question journal with me, which was beautiful and awesome. So can you give us just the brief overview? Who is Trish? Tell us everything. Oh my gosh. Okay. (laughs) Brief? (laughs) That's cute. Seven years later. (laughs) Exactly, right? Uh, So so yeah, I think think that... um, I, I'm from Halifax, Nova Scotia, originally. And, uh, you know, I'm obviously I'm in Canada, but I've lived all over, you know, mostly all over the country at this point in time. But, uh, but in Halifax, uh, way back, my, uh, one of my first corporate jobs was to launch uh, the first ISP in Canada. So that was a crazy ride that really, you know, is, is pinnacle, because it put me on the journey of, 
being in IT, um, which I still am today, and uh, and I love it. And you know, the the really interesting thing for me in that is that it, it gave me two things. Number one, it was my first exposure to a high performance team and what that meant. And it was a little shocking for me when I left that job and went to another one and it wasn't a high performance team. And I was like, what, <laughs> what do you mean? We don't all laugh and have fun and, you know, knock it out of the park. What, what is this about? So, uh, so that was a big, a big driver in terms of what I do today, who I am today, how I show up as a leader, um, all of those kinds of things. Um, and then the other really important thing that I think that, that it did for me is that for me, I've always had an exceptionally high aptitude for IT and I never really understood why, cause I've never written a line of code in my life, <laughs> but, <laughs> but what I, yeah, right. <laughs> but what I've come to understand is that it works very much like energy. So because I'm an energy practitioner, I've been an energy practitioner since I was a child. Um, my aptitude for technology is because I understand how energy works. And so not, not at a, I'm not like I'm a scientist and I'm going to explain to you how energy works, <laughs> but because I know how I use energy and how to leverage energy uh, in order to be able to, to do the things that I do. So, so those were really two big drivers that that particular, you know, opportunity for me really helped to craft who, who I am today. Yeah, I'm glad that you're here because on this show, we're always talking about leadership in new ways. And I'm excited to have a conversation with you because you're still in this corporate world. A lot of the people I interview have typically left that world. They've become entrepreneurs. But I do believe that there's still this necessary bridge between the spiritual and the corporate spaces. So what are you seeing in those spaces now, especially that you've been able to bring in more of this energy work to these teams and to these communities? Are people receptive to this work? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're, no, they're not. Um, but, uh, and, and I shouldn't say that. I'm sure there are people that, that are receptive to it. Um, and, and I love that you say that because I, I do believe that there are, that bridge, here's the thing, early in my career, I very much was my corporate persona and my spiritual persona, two separate people, right? Um, and at one point in time in my career, uh, I remember working with actually a woman who was a VP at Microsoft <laughs> and, and we were doing uh, interviews uh, for, for some team members for an, an initiative that, that I was going to be leading. And she just was who she was like, so, you know, on the phone, she'd be all professional. And then we get off the phone and she would be herself without apology. And I was like, why am I, you know, trying to be two different people here? This makes no sense. So, um, so she was a really, I don't even know that she knows this, but she was a really big trigger for me to say, you know, now, while I've always used energy in my career, always, like I, I've been using my intuition, probably 90% of my day is driven by intuition for my entire career. Um, other people didn't know this, right? So I, I knew it. I, I knew what I was doing, although I learned over time even more how to hone that capability. Um, but it's not like it's something that I shared, right? Uh, and there was also an element of being careful of language, Right. Because there's certain language that we use in the spiritual world or in our spiritual life that um, 
that some people just, you know, don't get. And what I realized was that as I started to introduce that language after, after this experience with, with my friend from Microsoft, when I started to introduce that language, I would drop it right in conversations. And what would happen is that those people who resonated with it would all of a sudden want more. And then what would happen is the people who didn't get it, it's literally, like I said, milk, <laughs> like it just didn't matter. Right. So so I was like, you know, so I started to drop more and then drop more and drop more. And now, you know, as I lead my leadership team um, and, and my team as a whole, uh, I pr- I'm very open about how we are using energy to create momentum, how we are, you know, trusting our intuition to understand where we should be focusing on people within our team uh, or, you know, projects or whatever else. And, and I'm very, very open about, about how we do this. And, and they're extremely receptive to it and are starting to learn to master these skills as well. Um, and what we see is not only that we are hitting and exceeding our key performance indicators, but that we are hitting and exceeding um, our surveys in employee, uh, employee, you know, how are the employees feel when they're at work as part of that team? you know, those numbers are also off the charts. So, you know, we're, we're seeing performance, performance, performance in all areas, not just in the monetary aspect or the delivery aspect, but also in terms of, of employee, you know, employees feeling like uh, they, you know, the effectiveness of, of us as leaders, but, you know, that employee engagement survey, those numbers are also off the charts. So what you have is happy employees who of course are gonna deliver because they're happy employees. And the driver behind this is 100% around how to understand how to interpret the energetic information that is guiding us in how to step up and be good leaders, as well as using energy to create that positive capability and momentum and energy within the team so that people love to come to work every day. This is cool. I want to come back to this and I have all these thoughts as you're, as you're talking you said that this always just came naturally to you, using energy, um, being quite sensitive, being intuitive. What was your upbringing like? And did that, was that seed planted early on? Was it nurtured by family, friends, parents, community? Where did this come from? Uh, I, I would, I would say it was nurtured by trauma. Mm. <laughs> you know, so I think that, I think that very much, and many people that I do meet in business who, who are highly intuitive and who are open about it, came from some form of traumatic childhood. Uh, Not everyone, but many of them do. And I think it's a function of, it just hones that intuitive capability and that ability to read people. Um, And when I say read people, you know, now, (laughs) you know, knowing what I know now, I, you know, I would never read somebody intentionally without explicit permission, but reading the situation, reading a room, reading the energy that somebody's given off, 100%, you have the capability to do that. And, and when you live through more of a traumatic experience as a child, I think that um, that it really hones that that capability. Um, and so it's not that it was nurtured. It's that it became probably, I would suggest, you know, my theory is a, a protection mechanism. OK, yeah, that makes sense. At what point on the journey did you begin honing the craft? So you became aware that there is something to this. When did you begin to do the studies or seek teachers and mentors who, who guided you and nurtured this with you? 
Um, for me, I, I very much, you know, I trusted my intuition since I was young. Uh, I used to do astral travel <laughs> when I was a child, uh, although I didn't know that that's the, what I was doing at the time. I know now that I've done it uh, consciously that that's what I was doing because I recognize how it feels and, and what the process was. But, um, but I would say that uh, I did not seek out others i i did seek out information so i consumed books by the hundreds right um up until actually i channeled the question journey itself like so the book that i wrote uh i channeled that and the the message that came through for that was people need to stop looking outside of themselves for answers and it was literally a dead stop so i stopped seeking information anywhere because the message that i received is how i will receive information or how i will learn will be how I need to learn and so how I share my message with others will be because of the way I learned so going out and getting all of everybody else's information is actually not what I need to be doing what I need to be doing is tapping into my inner knowing and then and then you know how I share my message will resonate with some people and it won't resonate with others and, and that's why we have all kinds of people who share it in all kinds of ways this is something I want to go into because I also feel that something important in these times is us coming back to ourselves and our knowledge. However, we've grown up in society that we typically have this path. It's like you study, you learn, you take tests, you excel, you get a diploma. There's this path that's set out for you that kind of feels outward in instead of inside out. So for many people, I can imagine it's very challenging to begin to trust something within when we've always been listening to an outside authority telling us how to live our lives. So in your experience, maybe with yourself or with the, the teams that you've been working with, how does that shift happen when someone comes back to themselves instead of listening outside? I love that. And I love that that way you described it, right? That, that everything was kind of outside in versus inside out. And, and wow, can you imagine what the world would look like if we could shift that dynamic? Woohoo! I have high hopes. <laughs> <laughs> right? That would be fantastic. Um, so, you know, my whole leadership philosophy is, is premised on a quote uh, that a, a dear friend of mine gave me when I, you know, moved into my first director position, very young. And uh, I was taken on a global team and she said to me, Trish, you have an opportunity to show up as a different kind of leader. Because at that point in time, I, I want to be clear, like, you know, I was like, basically, okay, strap on. And if you can hold on, great. And if you can't, see you later. <laughs> like, that was my leadership style, right? So, um, and we were go, like, you know, so she she called me and she said, you're taking on a new team. You have an opportunity. I want to share this quote with you. And the quote was, is from Dennis Waitley. And it says that true power comes from empowering others. And it's it, it was one of those, you know, flick the light bulb moments. Like, you know, the, the, the switch just went on. Um, and I was like, whoa, you know, like, and everything shifted in that moment. And since then, I've actually you know, had the honor to, to lead six high performance teams in my career, um, which is, you know, I, I didn't realize that it was that rare, to be honest with you, um, until I was doing a, an event with some CIOs. And uh, I asked people, I asked the, the, the group, it was about 50 CIOs, I said, who here has been part of, not even led, part of a high performance team? You know, after I described what that was, and only one person put up their hand, and I was like, whoa, okay, <laughs> you know, we have something here. So when we go back to your question with regards to the outside, you know, the inside out versus the outside in, 
this becomes important because how I, how I, how I show up as a leader is that I just, I embrace that true power comes from power and others, but it's multi-layered. Like there's so many nuances. Like it sounds so simple on the surface, but when it comes down to the day-to-day application of that, it's very, very nuanced. And I keep bringing it up even with, you know, with my team of, of managers, for example, and I'll say, you know, cause they'll come to a realization based on a situation that's happened. And, and I'll say, you see how that, oh, you know, and they'll realize, yeah, there's another layer, right? <laughs> so, so it's magic, right? So when, when people, what I do is in my ability to empower others, I see their 10. Okay. So I see the full expression of who they could be if they were operating at their full potential. And then I just operate with them as if they are that 10. So I don't say, oh, could you not, you know, could you bump it up a notch? I basically interact with them as if they're operating at their 10. So I don't, I don't let them know that I see them as anything, you know, that they may not be at that 10 yet or whatever else. I just literally continue to work with them as if they are. When I see opportunities where they could, you know, step more fully into that 10 than they are today, I make sure that they get that opportunity and I do whatever I can to support them in that opportunity. So, and there's also, uh, you know, cause there's a lot of people that also believe that this is all about, oh, you have to be nice and easy and, you know, like airy fairy. No, <laughs> like, the personal accountability is not a walk through the daisies. Right. Personal accountability is no easy track. So, you know, there's a, there's a bit of tough love that comes with being a leader in that space in holding people, you know, to that 10 and, and wanting them to step into that 10. But when you see it, so this is go back, it goes back to your question of what happens when they start to go inside out. Um, it is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Like it literally, you know, my whole body just feels like I've just been given a gift to see them step into that 10. Right. So that that's I don't know what it feels like for them, because you know what? They don't know I'm doing this. (laughs) So I haven't asked them. Right. I mean, I know they're excited. They show up every day. They love their work. They're they're they're, The team is awesome. They all support each other. So I know they I know they love that aspect of it. I don't know that they realize. And sometimes I will mention it. I'll say, hey, did you realize that you just totally like knocked that out of the park? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, you know, and they'll, they'll kind of get excited about, about what they did. But in general, like, I can't say what it feels like for them, but I can absolutely say what it feels like for me being a facilitator in that process to, to watch them step into their 10. I think this is a really good example of like holding the vision and literally holding people to a certain uh, frequency and a vibrational level and seeing that that's possible for them because I believe when we hold that like we just have to rise to it especially if someone has the strength and like energetic capability to hold it for them mm. things yeah I love I love the way you describe these things I love the way you see it because that, that, that's exactly what it is and I mean you know I wouldn't even articulate it that way but when you say it I'm like yeah that's exactly what I do right so <laughs> Yeah, a hundred percent. It's frequency. I love that because it's not a bar. That's the real, that's the thing, you know, so it's not a bar that we're holding them to, right? We're holding them to their frequency of their 10. And, um, and, and when I say holding, I don't mean, oh, I expect you to be here. Right. Right. It's to say, I see the magnificence of what you're capable of. You know, do you want to step in? I'm here to help you. 
right? Like, you know, that that's really what it's about. I love that how you describe that. That's awesome. Thanks. This is like exciting me because as you're talking, I'm kind of reflecting on my mentoring and coaching and how I typically work with people. And I've always seen it as I'm holding a level of high possibility that is theirs and only theirs. And mm-hmm. it's just about allowing that person to see that this is also possible for themselves. It's not about me doing it for them. It's about just kind of holding, hey, this is possible for you. Like, this is who you are. And I'll be there for you. It's also not about comparing, right? right? So as you're saying that, that's the other piece that's really important to understand as a leader is it's not a comparison activity because everyone's 10 is different, right? So I literally see myself as a maestro where, you know, I, I see each person's 10 and I bring those together in a way that can create magic, um, you know, and that's my job, right? Literally, I see that as being my job more so than anything else is to say, okay, who has that gift? Who, who, who may be not as, as strong over in this area? Who can we get to support that? And how do we, how do we, you know, pull all the pieces on the board? And this is why when I say tapping into the energy of the team, I can feel when, you know, the flute section isn't quite, you know, it it is kind of like struggling a little bit. So I need to pay some attention over there. Do you know what I mean? So, Mm -hmm. you know, so I really do see it like a maestro, but that, that comparison piece is really important because, um, you know, I'm, I'm a high performer, right? Like, you know, I have, a, I have a whole program called how to be a rock star, you know, so I, I'm a high performer. I don't want anybody feeling like they have to perform at my level because that's ridiculous, right? Like the reality is if we had a whole bunch of Trishas running around, somebody would lose their mind because <laughs> that's annoying. <laughs> Let's be real. <laughs> yeah. And I love that we, we talked about this a little bit when we were on a call. It's like the beauty of a team is everyone's different and everyone has a different um, capability and zone of genius and gift. And it's the ability to bring it all together that creates this like orchestra. And I love the vision of you being the maestro. Like I can just see it. You're, you're like holding, you're just seeing it all so beautifully. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you. This, I'm loving this conversation. This is awesome. So in, uh, in college, my minor was organizational leadership, and I remember specifically taking a course on the different types of leadership. And it's funny because as I was reading your bio, you like to focus on servant leadership, and that's the one that stuck out to me. You know, no coincidence that we're here uh, having this conversation now. So I'd love to hear in your opinion, what, what does servant leadership mean and why is it important? Yeah, you know, it's, uh, for me... It's about, well, it's a couple of things. The first piece is, is that in order to be a servant leader, in order to be a servant leader, I need to be willing to get down on my knees and be in service to every person on my team. That means no ego, right? So that's the biggest piece of it is that there can't be an ego in this. Um, I need to care more about my team and their success than I do about my own, right? Because when that happens, then I am truly holding them to their 10 and not holding them to their 10 as long as it's not at the expense of mine, right? Um, I have seen more projects fail, uh, organizational failures, toxic environments, people you know, crying before they go to work each day, that that is that is a is a result of nothing more than you know a leader's ego <laughs> it, it, it's alarming um 
how detrimental ego is uh, to to leadership. So so to be a servant leader, you need to want other people's success more than your own. Um, and that shows up in many ways, right? So again, it's not about, because I'm going to tell you, lots of people would, uh, you know, who have worked with me, no matter that they love me and they come work with me again, they're going to tell you I'm a bit of a hard ass sometimes, right? Um, this isn't, oh, you get a free pass because I'm a servant leader and that makes me easy, you know, easy you, that you're not going to have to perform. That's not what it means. It means my job's actually harder because I need to find all of the ways and means to get you to step into your 10, right? So, so it's actually more work. Me just telling you what to do, <laughs> that's easy. Me getting you to want to do it and want to do it to the best of your capability, that's the work. And, and that's why being a servant leader is actually, you know, it, it, it is, many people are not resonating with that, with that term because I, I think that they're averse to the idea of servant, right? Uh, and, you know, and so they're using different language or whatever else. I don't really care what you call it. To me, the servant leadership is, servant is the word we should be thinking of because I am in service to my team. I am in service to my team. That is my job. Um, why do we want servant leadership? Because when you show up and you, and people genuinely want, you know, or sorry, people genuinely sense that you want them to be successful. And they sense that you are truly there to support them. And they know to their bones that you will have their back. They will give you everything. Mm -hmm. Every single time. This is kind of reminding me of some of the indicators that I believe to be the age of Aquarius. And especially with leadership, kind of taking leaders as the end-all be-all off a pedestal and kind of leveling the playing field because it sounds like you're kind of in the ring with them you know your strengths you know your job but you also are holding them to their things but you're all in it together and yeah. I think that businesses will start to change and that kind of leads me into my next question what do you see as the future of the corporate environment or even businesses in general as more and more people become more sensitive more uh, they're able to acknowledge their own gifts and abilities and they can better identify what they enjoy and who they are uh i'm, I'm going to make a comment on what you just said first before i go to into your question and that is you know for me you're you're 100 right and you nailed it there is no hierarchy in team right absolutely no hierarchy in team so when we look at where organizations are going, this becomes this becomes interesting, especially right now, right? So we have two fundamental factors that are going on here. Number one, we had people who lost their jobs or were laid off and potentially with the opportunity to go back. But when they were out of that job and they were not subjected to poor leadership day in and day out, we are seeing people not returning to those jobs in droves because they are not willing to go back to, you know, it, it's a psychological safety thing, right? They, they feel like they're walking on eggshells and that's exceptionally stressful on the body. Um, and, and so they they always feel like they're navigating the political minefield and they don't know where the knife's going to come from next. Um, that is, you know, that is no way to be, you'll never get high performance in that kind of an environment. So, so number one, we have, we have people who are highly skilled and capable who are not returning to their jobs because they don't want to return to poor leadership. And we also see them, as you said, 
stepping out of corporate entirely and going off and becoming entrepreneurs, right? So that's number one. The other thing that we're seeing, and I'm going to be quite controversial here. <laughs> Hello, <laughs> warning, warning. Um, in this moment, so I don't know when people are going to end up listening to this, you know, if it's five years from now, but in this moment in time, we are seeing organizations who are, who are basically saying, if you're not vaccinated, you're going to be fired. And so there's going to be a whole other set of potentially exceptionally skilled people who are going to be exiting, you know, the workforce in these corporate environments. So what you're going to be left with is, you know, it could be good people, it could be bad people. Uh, in, in terms of, I shouldn't say that, that's the wrong way to say that. Talented, you know, there's a range of talent, right? So there's going to be a range of talent. But there's a high probability that between the people who didn't return after the COVID lockdowns and are now being forced out of their, their organizations as a result of some of these vaccine mandates, that organizations are not actually going to be left with top talent. There's a high probability of that. And so here's the other really interesting fact, because people will often say this to me, to me because they know me and they know that I'm a high performer. They'll go, oh, yeah, well, of course, you've got like high performance teams. They're all a bunch of high performers. That's actually fundamentally untrue. I, I do not. I often, you know, come into the teams that I build into high performance. I don't, I don't, you know, handpick them, right? So I have a range of capabilities within there. Um, and, and the reality is, is that, you know, we can talk about top talent. You don't need top talent to build high performance. But what you do need is you do need servant leadership. So I can take, so these organizations, they're going to keep going down this track, fair enough, Right. However, if you're expecting that you can continue with the same leadership style that you've been using and you're going to be left with a smorgasbord of potential talent capability, you better find a way to leverage that talent in a way that is going to get the best possible performance. And I can tell you what you're doing now is not going to work. So there's, you know, there is, there is loss in losing top talent. However, that does not mean you can still have high performance. You absolutely can. How? what it means is it, it becomes the onus is on the leader and very much so in, in some of the surveys that I've seen coming out, they believe that that's HR's responsibility to sort, you know, that it's HR's responsibility to make sure that employees feel safe and feel good and feel happy. And, you know, they get their gym membership and <laughs> right. <laughs> Such interesting times that we are living in. I, I appreciate your observations and something I see too is, is opportunity. Because with so much shifting, there's always going to be something new that's being built, especially when the creative mind starts to come in, especially those people who have been laid off from their jobs. They had, you know, a year to think about who they are. Maybe they weren't doing that, but some of them, maybe they had some time to think about what truly matters, um, their values. And I think we're going to start to see this like more value driven business model grow because more people are realizing that like our health matters, values matter, um, our time with family and friends and in nature, this matters. So I do think that that's going to start showing up. And I'm curious your thoughts on that too. Well, you know, for me, my whole thing is that why is it okay? Like, so let's just think about this for a minute and, and just break it down. I know people who literally cry before they go to work because they have to go to work. Why is it okay for somebody to show up to do the job they love in a place they hate? 
Like I, I just can't even wrap my head around that. And, and yet we all accepted this as being normal until COVID hit. Right. right? So I, I accepted it as being normal. It's like, okay, well, I created my bubble of, of, of high performance and, and that was my bubble. Do you know what I mean? But let's, let's be real outside of my bubble within the same organization I might've been working in. I didn't see that everywhere. <laughs> like that didn't exist everywhere just because it existed in the bubble I created, but I created a bubble that allowed me to stay in that space. And so I loved where I was, but I could see that there was, that was not the reality for, for many, many people. And yet, what were you going to do about it? Right? Like this is, this is old school, you know, old boys club, call it whatever you want. Um, the net net of it is it's been around for a long, long time and it's really outlived its usefulness. It, it arrived in a time um, when, when it probably was a little bit more needed, um, in the industrial era that we're no longer in those times, but the leadership style really hasn't shifted with the, with the demand of where we are now. Um, so I don't believe that it's okay for people to do the job they love in a place they hate, especially when that is an easily fixed activity. And when I say easily, I mean, the leader just needs to do the work, right? So they need to do their inner work so that they can show up in a way to be in service to their team and get their team to perform at their best. Um, and the team will, right? That, that's the interesting thing about it is that the team just will. Um, it takes time, right? It takes time to build that trust. It takes time to be consistent. It takes time to show them who you really are and what they're capable of. Uh, and it takes effort, uh, but it can be done and it can be done in very in a very short period of time. You, you know, when I say that a year, let's say a year, right? If, a year, if you're committed, you can really start to see massive shifts in in how your team is performing um, in, in that period of time. And a year is nothing in the overall scheme of things. But I don't believe, you know, it's, for me, my mission is about healing our corporate work environments one leader at a time. And I'm looking for the leaders who are ready you know, to feel a little bit uncomfortable with the fact that they might not be the leader they think they are and who care more about their team than they do about the fact that they feel a little bit uncomfortable that they may not be the leader they think they are at this moment in time. I love that. It's actually giving me a lot to reflect on too because I definitely consider myself a leader and I want to sit with this idea a little bit more of like, are there ways that I'm not showing up as the leader that I think I am, et cetera, et cetera. Am I truly being a servant leader? So I love this. You've given me a lot to, uh, to, uh, to sit with and I appreciate that. Well, let's be clear. I need to do that. Everybody, we all need to do the same thing. Yeah. If you are a servant leader, you should be asking yourself that question pretty much every day. So as we begin to close out this conversation, and I think I'd love to continue this conversation on another uh, episode with you because this is, I just get so lit up by this this topic and I'd love to go more into like the energetics at another time. Um, two questions. The one is the practical one. Where can people connect with you? How can they, they reach out to you? How can they enter your world? Oh, absolutely. Uh, um, you can go to the questionjourney.com. More the corporate stuff is at trishbishop.com actually. So you can, yeah, and you can get to both sites from either one. It doesn't really matter. Um, on Instagram at questionjourney, Twitter at questionjourney, and facebook.com slash the questionjourney. And I'd love to meet you. Beautiful. The second one, uh, it's more of my visionary question. So, what would the world look like if more corporate leaders? adopted this servant model of leadership and more employees or teams felt more fulfilled in work? Oh my gosh. Wow. Small question. (laughs) (laughs) 
you know, I think that we would just see, you know, I see some companies doing this now, like Salesforce, for example, right? You know, that really operates in that space. And you see the success of Salesforce. And much of that success comes from really powerful innovation and creativity. And, you know, they're constantly pushing the boundaries of what it is that they're doing. And the reality is, is that that is a function of employees who feel safe, who feel, you know, supported, who are working under, I don't know if it's all truly servant leadership, but I know their CEO definitely operates from that space. Um, they feel valued, right? And and we see the results. So I, I would say take an organization like Salesforce and just really watch, pay attention, listen to, to some of the things that he says and some of the things that they're doing. Really do some investigation into that and start to see, because to me, that is like an example, just one, and there are others, there are many out there actually, um, of an organization and what it could mean when people can actually show up and be their 10 because people are brilliant. People are brilliant in their gifts and, and in so many ways that are not in the box of whatever job role they, they hold right now. And to be able to leverage that and allow that to show up and, and really push companies in, in new and, and fascinating and innovative directions that to me is like, that's the magic for sure. I love that. I love that. Well, I think this conversation has given us all some food for thought, whether we are a corporate leader, whether we are on a corporate team, whether we're an entrepreneur, whether we're trying to figure it all out, um, wherever you are at in the journey, I know that this has been really just beautiful. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Trish. Thank you. And thanks to all your listeners. I really appreciate your time. All right, everyone, we will be back next week with another episode. Make sure to go check out all that Trish is doing. Grab her question journey and enter her world in the most beautiful way possible. Thank you, Trish.